In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm Mark Danzi, your host today, as we are looking into how to become the disciple maker that God has always dreamed we would be. Now, if you're a parent out there, you probably have a dream for your child. A lot of parents say, well, you know, whatever they become, whatever they choose is fine. But deep down in our hearts, we have certain expectations or hopes for our kids. And, you know, one of them may be that they, um, that they get an education, that they are emotionally uh, well-balanced, that their bodies are healthy and that they can make sound decisions, that, you know, that they have the same moral compass, so to speak, or even a greater moral compass than, than we have. Or maybe that they marry well, they choose well. And, and, and so all these things, while we may say whatever they decide to do with their life, of course, uh, is them, we have a dream for their life. And, a, and my dream for my kids' life, uh, lives, I have four actually, adult children now, is that all of them would have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, all the rest of the stuff really compa- pales in comparison to the, the hope or the dream that they would walk with God. So as a parent, I've always had a dream for my children. I'm sure my parents had a dream for me too. And, uh, (laughs) you know, maybe your parents had a dream for you. But today, let's kind of recenter that thought around this concept. What is God's dream for you? If God's your father, uh, and if you're a child of God, listening to this podcast today, wherever you are in the world, what is God's dream for you? Well, In Zephaniah 3.17, there's this interesting verse that many of us have heard. Um, Wanted to revisit it today as we now look deeper into this concept of living out God's dream for us found in Romans chapter 12. Zephaniah 3.17 in the NIV reads this way, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's not the stereotypical view of God that God is singing over us or, or, or with a, a smile from ear to ear, thinking about us and how our lives are turning out. But Zephaniah reminds us that God delights in us. God has a dream for our life, and it can be found of course, all throughout Scripture, but specifically in Romans chapter 12. Now, last week, we did kind of a survey of Romans, and we talked about why this is such an important book, uh, honestly, uh, in in Scripture. Um, You know, uh, the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, uh, he regarded Romans as the most profound book in existence. Uh, Godet called it the Cathedral of the Christian Faith. (laughs) And because of uh, this, it's so majestic, and the the divine plan of salvation is there, Martin Luther actually wrote, this epistle, this letter, is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. I mean, Romans really can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it's dealt with, the more precious it becomes. Uh, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they present the words and the works of Jesus. But Romans is really the gospel according to Paul. 
and it delves more into the significance of his death and resurrection. I have a newfound friend named Tom Grady, and he said that most people understand they, that, that are born again, that they are born again, they just don't know really what that means. Well, Romans explained that to us. And so just real quickly to debrief, um, uh, what we understand is that Romans uh, 1 through 2 is about uh, the sinfulness of mankind. 3 through 7 is about forgiveness of sin through Christ. Uh, Romans 8 is about freedom from sin's grasp. 9 through 11 is about Israel's past, present, and future. And Romans 12 is really about how to live the Christian life. It's a blueprint, honestly, a blueprint of God's dream for you. And so God has a, has a big agenda. You know, sometimes we meet people and we say, oh, they just have an agenda. Well, we all have an agenda. <laughs> Let's be honest. God has an agenda. God has a big agenda for the world, but God has an agenda for you. And God's big agenda for you and for me is developing our character and making us like his son. There's an old story of a, uh, I love to tell, of a, uh, of a man who really enjoyed museums. And he went to this museum, and he was there, and he was admiring all the pieces, the sculptures, the paintings. But there was one sculptor that he just, he kept coming back to. One piece of art that was huge. It was a marble stallion. It was a huge horse that had been chiseled from pure marble. It was over eight feet tall, and it was this horse reared up on its back legs with its mane flowing and its front legs kicking up in the air, and it was just, uh, it just was a specimen to behold. And the man kept walking around and looking at other pieces, but he kept coming back to this one. And as he was gazing at it, he noticed a, a man standing to his left, and he looked at the man and he said, can you, can you believe this piece of art? This, this is amazing. I mean, whoever sculpted this must have, it must have been so difficult. Well, the man standing next to him that was listening to him was wearing overalls and a hat, and he looked at him and he said, well, you know, it really wasn't that challenging. And the guy looked at him and he said, wait a minute, you sculpted this? And the old man said, yeah, I did. He goes, oh my goodness. He goes, how did you take a piece of marble of rock and after working, how did you develop this? And the old man looked at him and said, well, it was kind of a simple process. I just took a hammer and a chisel and I knocked off everything that didn't look like a horse. <laughs> I, I love that story because it really is what being transformed into the image of Christ is all about. It's that God uh, allows life, um, and in some cases himself, to take the hammer and the chisel, and in his own kind and gracious and patient way, he begins to just knock off everything in our life that doesn't look like Jesus. That's what it means to be conformed into the image of his Son. And so God's agenda is developing our character to be like Christ, but also that we recognize that more important than what we do is what we become. Now let me ask you that question today. What are you becoming? I know we all have a past. We all have failures and successes. We all have a history of some kind that we look back on with great pride, like scoring four touchdowns in a single game, <laughs> or we look back with great shame going, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I went there. I can't believe what I said. 
So looking back is kind of important, but the only thing we can do about the past is learn from it. What's important is what we are becoming. And God's big agenda for us is that we become conformed into the image of His Son, and that's what Romans chapter 12 really is all about. Today we're going to delve into verse 1, and we're just going to pretty much stay in verse 1, because what this verse is really about is about our relationship with God. It's really about the key to that relationship, which is surrender. And so let me read it to us today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 reads this way, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, one of the things that I like to do with the my discipleship groups is I often start uh, from Romans chapter 12. And so if this podcast in the weeks ahead can help you, then listen to them. Uh, you can go to the 419disciplemakers.org website and download the, the leader's guide and the participant's guide for R12. And you can follow along as these teachings go, but you can also use it as a guide for a discipleship group, whether as curriculum during the group or to launch a group. And so starting at verse 1, this word therefore is there because it's a hinge word. In other words, chapters 1 through 11 paint the picture of look how good God has been to us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, men and women, in view of God's mercy, looking back, looking through the rearview mirror of God's mercy in your life, now, let's stop there and think about that for a second. If you've lived any time at all, especially if you lived through your teenage years or maybe your young adult years, can you believe you're still alive? <laughs> I mean, I just ponder some of the ridiculous places I put myself and the things that I did and the, just the numerous times I've been on busy highways or in places. I mean, one miracle in life is that I'm still alive. Uh, you know, and I just have to think back and think that, well, God must have put angels around me uh, at times in my life when I just did not know what I was doing. And so the fact that when I look back in, the, in life, when I look back on the past, the one resounding thing I see in that landscape is the mercy of God. It's not getting what I deserved. That's the definition of mercy. I, I, God protected me, preserved me, loved me, cared for me until I could get to a place in my life where I could look back and go, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy in my life. This is what Paul's saying in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, think of that view of in rear view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that Part of this verse must have caused people to hear it and read it, especially in the first century, and go, huh? <laughs> I mean, the concept of living and sacrifice don't really go together. In that day, you know, a sacrifice was something that was sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. It was, it was dead. I mean, the blood is spilled. The flesh is burned. I mean, it's, it's sacrificed, and it's no more. But Paul is saying to us here today that we would offer our bodies, in other words, offer our life, our motives, our agendas as a living sacrifice. In the 
play Hamilton in the book that by Ron Chernow, there's a scene where Washington, George Washington tells the young Hamilton, who's just a, just a fireball and just lives on the edge. And he's, he says to him, son, dying is easy. Living is harder. And I think about that in light of this verse as a living sacrifice. It would almost be easier to die for Christ than it would be to live for Christ. I mean, it's over and done, right? But this living sacrifice is what God has called us to, and the joys are immense. The freedom is great. Uh, The pleasures abound. But it takes focus, and it takes understanding that this is not God's job. (laughs) This is our job. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice sacrifice. In other words, if there are things that are that are, are hurting your body, if there's addictions, whether it be alcohol or pornography or food, uh, whatever it is that we continually to subject our bodies to that are not helping us grow spiritually, they're actually putting boundaries in front of us or putting barriers in front of us. We are to offer that on the altar of God, to surrender that to God. And to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I think when I read this verse, the thing that comes to me is that Paul is not saying, look, if you want to truly and properly worship, well, then you got to go to a church, you know, you got to, you know, take a bath. (laughs) You got to show up on time. You got to sing along, raise your hands, listen to the sermon, take some notes and go home. That's what we think worship is. And we say that to people. Where do you worship? Where do you go to church? What service do you go to at your church? And and vice and, and on and on and on. So today the modern Christian may have this concept of worship as a, a a place you go and a time you go and people have put on a worship service and you participate. That's not what Romans 12:1 is telling us. Romans 12:1 says if you want to if you want true and proper worship, here's how you do it. Monday through Sunday, you offer your body as a living sacrifice because looking back on the landscape of your life, you are overwhelmed by God's mercy in your life. And so this really isn't about salvation because we're talking to Christians here. This is the book of Romans. It was written to the church at Rome. Uh, And so it's not necessarily this offering your bodies as a command of salvation. It's about surrendering to lordship. I mean, the first call of Christ, as you know, is the call to salvation. But the second call of Christ is to lordship, recognizing that Jesus is Lord of all. One theologian said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And this comes through surrender. Now, the motivation for surrender or to uh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, as we said, the motivation is the mercy of God. God's gone before us. But the reason for this is because it's how we worship. The word worship comes from some root words that are put together that basically means ascribing worth to something. So as we worship, we are ascribing worth to God. Lord, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my worship. But not only that, you are worthy of my life, my mind, my marriage, my soul, everything in life. Lord, you are worthy. You're holy. And so this offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, surrendering to the will of God for our life, man, this is worship. This is worship. 
And, and our friend Chip Ingram, who basically did all the framework for this study, said God's power does not kick in until lordship kicks in. I mean, many of us say, well, you know, I have a relationship with God, but I don't really hear God. Uh, God doesn't really ever tell me what to do. You know, I mean, I'm not like anticipating time with God. Worship is not that exciting. It's just something we do. It's probably a lordship issue in your own life. Because when you surrender to Jesus as Lord, the power of God begins to take over your life, and it is undescribable, and it is unexplainable. And so let's continue in this vein here, verse 1, about this offering our bodies in view of God's mercy as a living sacrifice, because this is what worship really is. Listen to what John Piper said about worship. He said, worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of His glory, and He created us so that we would see this glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And so for you and I as disciples of the Lord Jesus uh, or disciple makers of the Lord Jesus we recognize this, that the key to all of this begins with surrender. And the nature of surrender is all or nothing. You can't partially surrender. You know, no, no general in, a history, in history in a battle said, well, this will be a conditional surrender. <laughs> when you surrender, you give up all rights. You're at the mercy of the person you're surrendering to. Now think about that for a second. You're at the mercy of of the person you surrender to. If you are surrendering to Jesus, you are at the mercy of Jesus. And in looking back over your life, you will see nothing but mercy. (laughs) And so surrender, I know it's a negative word, especially if you're a guy. Guys just, oh, guys hate that word, surrender. You kidding me? It sounds like pure defeat. But what if it's more than that? What if it's greater than that? Uh, Surrender, defined uh, by Webster, says that it's a total commitment in the alignment of one's motives, resources, priorities, and goals to fulfill a specific mission, accomplish a specific task, or follow a specific person. Did you hear that? Surrender, defined, is a total commitment to align our motives, resources, priorities, and goals for a specific mission to accomplish a specific task, or, and this is the one I want you to focus on, or follow a specific person. Jesus begins with those 12 with this simple command, follow me. At the end of John with with, with Peter and that whole discourse there, after everything has gone down and Jesus is about to leave, he's looking at Peter and he's saying, if you love me, feed my sheep, all of that. And then he says, listen, I'm going to sum it up this way. Follow me. So surrender, total surrender, even in a secular definition, is about following Jesus. It's about signing over the check to him. Um, Picture your whole life as one big blank check. And imagine sitting at the bottom, uh, excuse me, imagine signing the bottom and leaving the top blank for whatever the Lord wants to do in your life. I mean, for me, I was a Christian for a year before I even understood the concept of lordship. I thought Christianity was about, I give my life to God, God gives me heaven, and I just hold on till I can get there. 
man, no wonder it didn't mean that much. But when I started understanding the Lordship of Christ, think about it that way, that your life is a blank check signed at the bottom to God, and He can write it for whatever amount and for whatever purpose that He wants. That is surrender. Surrender is the only channel through which God's blessings and biggest blessings can flow because God loves you. God is for you. God wants the best for you. God has a dream for you, but that dream is not going to unfold until we surrender and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Here's the trick, though. When we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, we're really not giving up that much in comparison to what we're receiving. I mean, here's the reality. Our life today is either bringing glory to Christ or disgrace to Christ. I know that sounds dramatic. You're like, isn't there a third option? (laughs) Can't I just be like lukewarm, kind of in the middle? Uh, You know where that goes. No, our life is either bringing glory to God or disgrace to God. In other words, we have... We, we would say we are a Christian, but we do not display the power of Christ in our life. How does that bring God glory? No. When we accept Him and don't obey Him, we misrepresent Him to the watching world. To say we believe in a God we don't obey, well, who wants that? Nobody. No, people want to see the difference that God has made in our life, and they won't see that until you and I surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and then the power of God begins to flow through our life. How's that going to happen? Surrender. Surrender is declaring that I trust Christ with my life and my future. I don't just trust Christ with salvation in heaven. No, no. I trust Christ now. This is the story of all the saints of the Bible. If you want to be in good company, Read Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. And it's a, basically a museum of the great men and women of God. But what did it take for them to make the cut? Surrender. And so no good thing will God withhold from those who follow Christ. When we surrender, it opens up the channels of blessings on our life. And not only ours, but those that we are pouring into, those that we are leading, those that we are discipling. And so another way to say it is that God wants what's best for you, but Satan and the world have lied to us. Uh, he, God wants us to thrive and prosper in our careers. He wants us to live in community of faith and be rich and rewarding in relationships. I mean, listen, God is the CEO of the universe, and his desire is to be number one in our heart. I love this little thing my wife and I have going on where she looks at me and says, honey, you know, you'll always be number two. (laughs) I love that. I say, yes, honey, you are number two in my life. Why? We are trying to put God number one. And when you put God number one and your spouse number two, I don't know, it just just works. And so the analogy that we like to give here is that one of Texas Hold'em. You've heard that, you know, the poker game where there's a scene or a moment in this game that gets so exciting. And it's where somebody takes all their chips and they push it to the center of the table and they say two words, all in. You know, does your life represent all in? Are you dabbling your toe in the water of Christianity? Are you sitting on the side with your feet dangling in the water of grace or are you immersed? Are you jumping in? Are you jumping off the high die? That's where the fun is. If you talk to someone who's just jumped headfirst into the grace and mercy and love and calling of God, 
you just don't hear regret. No. Second Chronicles, I'll leave you with this. Verse, chapter 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. When we surrender, our life of faith is ignited. The question today is that, is your heart fully committed to him? If not, I hope you will surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Go all in, sign the blank check over to him, and let him love you and live out the dream that God has always had for you. That's my prayer. I look forward to next week as we continue through, and we're going to be exploring verse 2. Go ahead and read ahead. Uh, Share this podcast with someone that might be meaningful, and consider using this tool or resource as you disciple others. If you're looking for resources, of course, 419disciplemakers.org is the place to go. And again, as your host today, Mark Danzi, it has been a pleasure to be with you. I pray God's richest, richest blessings on you. Now go all in. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. 